Well, it's wonderful to see all of you here today, and thank you so much for coming out. Um, yeah, um, we're going to be away, myself and Brandon Clark, um, we're going to be away in New Zealand for, for a while. Uh, looking forward to that, except I'm going to miss summer and go straight into winter in New Zealand. Um, and uh, so please pray for that. We're going to be at a number of churches and also ministering at uh, a training time in Auckland. And um, so we want to just uh, thank all of you for your support as we do this. And uh, just before we start what I want, uh, want to say, I want to tell you that this church would not be here today. This church, uh, Oceanside was started in our home in 97 uh, with just my wife and, kid, uh, and, and three kids. We did not know one Christian in the city, but felt God call us here from South Africa. That's why I have a lot of faithful James and Helen, Helen that they'll be able to ignite something there. But having said that, uh, we work with an apostolic team. If you go to our website, if you're serious about Oceanside, please go and read up about who we are. And um, we're a team that plants churches all over the world. And how it works is that the larger churches support the smaller churches. We're not a denomination. We don't have a head office or anything like that. We're just a, a team that works in 60 countries around the world, right from Mongolia, Nepal, Africa, and all over. And Matt is starting a medical missions thing. And that doesn't necessarily just mean doctors. Anybody involved in medical, uh, and uh, he's been doing it for a while now. And we want to partner with him and, um, and share the gospel through what we do. We've got a few events coming up next year that we're going to be available with. And can I tell you this? If you're in part of the medical profession, this is not necessarily only for Oceanside people or for necessarily church people. There are many people in the professions that would love to go and serve the poor and help them. Uh, and that's what we do, set up clinics uh, in various places. We also have a, an orphanage um, associated to this church called Grace Orphanage Congo. And uh, if you want to sponsor some kids, they're war orphans, and go and have a look at it. It's amazing. If you go and have a look at Grace Orphanage Congo, you'll be amazed at what God is doing there. And we're going to have a few events over the summer to, to let you know more about that. Um, uh, we, we obviously close them, feed them. We provide a con accommodation. Uh, want to build a school. Uh, teaching them how to grow their own food and all of that. And that is going on as we speak. And if Johan and Renal could please stand up. Um, I want to just uh, commend them for this. Um, thank you. They just, uh, the point of the team, and there's others here, but um, have a tremendous passion to see the kingdom of God come uh, in these people's lives. So, That'd be wonderful for you to go and have a look at. And I'd love us just to put up our um, mission statement. Um, and it's very simple. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. Many people know of Jesus, but God wants us to know him. Many of people know of our neighbors. We might say hi and we know their name, but we don't know them. And Jesus is a, a, a came to restore relationship with our God the Father, and He wants a loving relationship. So that's the journey we're on. And to make Him know, take what God has given us. And so our mandate is this, and I just want to show you. So finishing New Zealand, um, and I travel quite a lot to help small churches get off the ground. They don't pay for us to come. They don't, uh, uh, we pay to go to them. Because we just don't want to go to churches that can afford us. Because how many of you know, when you can afford somebody, you don't really need them anymore? And so uh, that's part of what we do. And um, so our mandate is to be a gathering church. We want to gather the lost, gather the hurt, gather the whole, gather Christians, non-Christians together. And we want to be a healing church. And that healing is, does include physical healing. But spiritual and emotional healing too. Many people have been hurt by circumstance, sometimes by the church, unfortunately, fortunately, and we want to see them heal. 
Then we want to equip them. And we have a Bible school, School of the Bible. You can go online, you'll see it, and it'll start up when we get back. And then we want to send you, every single one of you, full of Jesus, to make him known. And sending is, yes, it could be Indian and Nepal, but how many of you know that God put us here for a purpose? In Nanaimo, Vancouver Island. And I want to say this to you. If each one of us, in one year, reached out to one person and drew them into the life of the church and they got saved, we would double. We'd go from a couple hundred to a more couple hundred. And if we did that again, we'd be a more couple hundred. It's not very hard if we ask God to use us for the extension of his kingdom. And we pray, God, which is the person? How can we do that? How can we reach out to our mission field, which might be working at McDonald's, Starbucks, in a bank, uh, as a medical profession? God has placed you there, not so that you can just earn money, which money is good because without money we can't do what we do. He has placed you in a mission field. And he wants your light to shine to those people around so that they can come and know Jesus. So we make him known like that. And, um, and so the key to what we want to be is be a church that is a living witness of Christ. You see, to know Jesus and to make him known was the mandate of the early church. And it's never, ever changed. And we see this mandate Jesus lays it out to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. He says this, on one occasion, while Jesus was eating with his disciples, now this is after the resurrection, he gave them this command. It wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father had promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set at his own authority. And I want to say that Jesus says in Matthew 24, 25, that we to discern the times. But I want you to know, it's not for us to argue about times and dates as when Jesus is coming back. It's not for you to know. And I say this is because we get caught up in these things between each other uh, about the rapture and all of this, all of these things, and, we, and it wastes time because Jesus says, that's not the thing that I've called you to. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witness. So stop arguing about Old earth, new earth, long earth, <laughs> round earth, short earth, when Jesus is coming back and so on. I tell you what, this is true. He is coming back, and when he comes, we better be ready. That's all we need to know. It's not for us to know. Jesus' words. But you will receive power to be a witness. Now, where are we to be a witness? In Jerusalem. So our Jerusalem is Nanaimo. Starts here, uh, in all Judea, British Columbia, Samaria, Canada, and to the ends of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. And um, that's why we're going to New Zealand. Not so that I could um, spend January cold Nanaimo, Vancouver weather in Auckland, but because we want to encourage and empower those churches, brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, we see this in the life and the preaching of Peter. Peter grabbed hold of this mandate. We know in Acts chapter 2, the power of God came. It came and they were, tongues of fire came down, they started speaking in tongues, and Peter, who had only a few days earlier had denied 40 days earlier, had denied Christ three times. Full of the power, he became a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. And in Acts 2, he exalts Jesus, and in one day, 3,000 people got saved. How many of you would like to see that in Nanaimo? Five of you. 
How many of you would like to see that? Awesome. Awesome. I would love to see that. That's why we're building a new gymnasium and so on. And we see this in Peter's life and preaching. And I want to share an account of the supernatural birth of the Gentile church. And I want to ask a little question. Who was the first Gentile Christian? Have you ever heard of a name Cornelius? He was the first Gentile Christian. He started. He was the original church planner. We think we've planted a church and it's doing well. Imagine Cornelius. Like billions of people have come through the Lord Jesus Christ through that one church plant. And it says here, so we're going to read a little bit of Scripture. We'll take it from there. It says, Acts 10, 1 to 7, we're going to start this journey with Cornelius and Peter. And it says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He was a Roman soldier. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. He was not saved, but he was a devout man. He knew there was a God. He knew there was a creator of the universe. He just did not quite know who it was. And one day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Now this is going to freak you out because this church was birthed supernaturally through visions and trances. Yeah, silence. That was the baby church. We should be so far further than that today. But God spoke to them through angels, through visions and trances. And I'm not going to, um, I'm going to show you that as we read this. He has a vision. And he distinctly saw an angel who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and the gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. I would have liked to stay with Simon the Tanner by the sea too. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. It's about 30, 40 k's away. Whilst they were working, walking to Joppa, the very next day, whilst they were on the land, Peter has a vision. They don't know each other. They're different towns. They didn't have cars. These were walking distances. uh, And so it would have been a long distance away. And this is what happened. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, so they're on their journey, and God is at work. They've been obedient to God, and they're on the move. And Peter went to the roof to the house to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. Well, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Amazing. I want visions. I want God trances. I want God dreams, don't you? It's biblical. The enemy has stolen so much from the church. Because for there to be a counterfeit, there has to be a real God is the real, the enemy is the counterfeit. And he's stolen dreams and visions and angelic visitations because the enemy has made it into something like it wasn't supposed to be. And he saw heaven open, and like something like a large sheep being uh, let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals. They were as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, if you are living in the bush and you don't mind what you eat, if you've, if you've looked, uh, watched alone and end of the, uh, Vancouver Island here, I mean, some of the stuff the guys eat, it's awesome. It's an amazing survival uh, thing. But this was a Hebrew boy. He would not even eat bacon. I don't know how. He survived. What would we do without bacon? 
And he says this in horror, in this, in this trance and vision. What a weird trance. It's coming down and these things, reptiles, all of that, snakes. And he says, surely not, Lord. I have never ever eaten anything unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God made clean. Now, it's talking about reptiles and the Levitical laws of Moses and what he shouldn't eat. But the analogy is, as a Jew, all Gentiles, us, were unclean. So this is the story. You'll see it un unfold. Do not call anything impure that God had made un uh, unclean. The, 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 the Jews, the Israelites, thought that they were the sole chosen people of God. Although God often told them, all nations will be blessed through you. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back into him. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, can you imagine? The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out, asking if Simon Peter, was, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And whilst Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to them, Simon, three men are looking for you. Three unclean Gentiles. So he got up to go downstairs and, okay, I'm looking for. So, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am one of you, the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Colinius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all Jewish people. He was a good soldier. He, he fed the poor. He was generous. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. See how God supernaturally is setting up the Gentile church. And then Peter invited men into the house to be his guests. And the next day, Peter in obedience, and we're going to look at this because this was a big deal for Peter, sets out for Caesarea and goes into the home of Cornelius. We're going to pick up reading quite a bit of scripture because the story tells itself. And we'll pick up, go and read this chapter. It's amazing. Next 10, we'll go to 34 to 41. Then he meets Cornelius. He's in their home. The first time he had ever crossed the threshold of a Gentile home. And he, after meeting them and his household, sorry, I take antihistamines and they dry up my mouth a bit. He began to speak. He says, I now realize, now the vision is starting of the unclean is starting to make sense. And I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God is the God of everybody. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God gives us a choice and a free will because love can only be ex expressed in free will. If we do not have free will and God forces us to serve Him, then that is not love. But He gives us choice, and he, but He does not show favoritism to anybody who responds to the free will of God. He does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news. Now he starts to preach to Cornelius. He starts telling him about Jesus Christ. And this is where it really gets fun. You know what has happened throughout Judea. Now, this is an amazing thing. This is only a couple uh, weeks or months after the, re a couple months after the resurrection. Maybe a year. I'm not too sure of the timeline. But he says like this, you know. So these people, Gentiles, knew of Jesus Christ. He's not telling them something that they didn't know. They had heard the story. Even without CNN, the story got around. You know what happened throughout Judea? Beginning in Galilee, after the baptism, John preached. Remember, Jesus went to the river Jordan, 
the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was released into, released into three uh, years of ministry, culmination in his crucifixion. They knew the story. So you don't want to believe that Jesus Christ is real or his story is true. These are people that would have had a first-hand account of what was going on. And he says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now this is important. This is Jesus of Nazareth. The word Nazareth is important because it means Jesus walked the earth as a man. God incarnate. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He set aside his deity and took on humanity to save man. But on earth, he walked around and, and wasn't Jesus the supreme ruler of the universe. He was Jesus as of Nazareth. And this is important because Jesus of Nazareth, filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Remember at Acts 1.8, you will receive the power that Jesus received. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And that's what God wants us to do. God wants us to be a healing church, physical, emotional, spiritual he healing, and people set free from demonic oppression. And why did this happen? It's because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews. And in Jerusalem, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the, Thursday, on the third day and caused him to be seen. If you want to uh, read a book on the, on the resurrection and is it true, there's one called Lee, Lee Struble. Struble. It's called, a, it's called a, Christ, a Case for Christ. He was a lawyer that set out to disprove the resurrection he wrote, he studied it, and became radically saved through that. So he rose from the dead. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Now remember, one Acts 1.8, they were eating and drinking with Jesus. And he said, don't worry when I'm going to come back, but you're going to receive power to be a witness. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Whilst Peter was still speaking these things, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. I'm waiting for that day when I'm preaching one day and the Holy Spirit just breaks up and messes up all my sermon. Moves in power. I'm sure you weren't waiting for that day too. For they heard then speaking in tongues and praising God. This is a supernatural church. A church without the Holy Spirit, a church without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a church without power is, is not a, a threat to the enemy. But a church birthed in the Spirit of God, full of the Spirit of God, full of the power of God, can do amazing things. And people said, can anyone keep these um, people from being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. What an amazing story. Those are your Cornelius is your spiritual grandfather. <laughs> but you see, a few things happened here, and I want to speak on it. Something supernatural the Holy Spirit came in power and they began speaking in tongues and were saved whilst he was speaking. And I believe it happened for three reasons. And this is one of the things that I um, always ask myself, God, what was it? Why did that happen there and why do we not see it happening in the church today to the extent 
of the, it did in the book of Acts. Remember, we all look back at the book of Acts, and some people will even tell you that that was for those days and not for today, the power and the Spirit of God. Show me one scripture where God says, as of today, no more Holy Spirit. It's not there. It's a lie from the pit of hell to keep the church immature and powerless. But there are three reasons. Number one, it started with Cornelius. He was a seeker after God, and God had promised in his word, in Jeremiah 29, 12 to 14, that if you seek me, you will find me. I don't know where you, whatever you're doing or whatever you're thinking, if you seek God, you will find him. Jeremiah 29, 12 to 14, this is what it says. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. A two-way relationship with God. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God is not into casual relationships, but if you are seeking God with all your heart, he will reveal himself to you. Church, we cannot live on secondhand revelation. We cannot live, I cannot live on your revelation and you can't live on mine. I can be encouraged by it, but when trouble comes, if it's not my revelation, I'm not going to stand on it. So we need to be seekers like Cornelius after God, saved and unsaved. We need to know Christ, not know of him, to know him. And then to make him known. And I'm encouraging you on this journey to begin to seek him more, to begin to spend time in his presence. These are busy times, but surely we can take a half an hour, an hour in the morning or evening just to say, God, I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me. You see, that's the first thing. Cornelius was a seeker after God. And God saw him in Caesarea. And he said, I've got a dude in Joppa, and I'm going to connect you two supernaturally, and you will be saved. That's what happened. But secondly, Peter was obedient to the call. Even though it was inconvenient, he was hanging with his buddy by the beach in his tent trailer, like I was last week. And God speaks to him, inconvenient. Way, oh God, oh, do I really have to take this? I mean, it's maybe over 100 degrees there in the desert. I've got to walk 30 Ks in the hot sun. No, the inconvenient call of God. Church, we miss out so much in God because God calls us at inconvenient times. And how we respond reveals our heart. And it doesn't reveal our heart to us because if we're true, we'll know where our heart is. It reveals our heart to him. And he had to say, okay, I'm going to be on convenience. You know the stories of the feast? Jesus said he had a big banquet and he asked people to come. And the people he came, none of them came. First, let me do this. First, let me do that. First, let me do this. First, he said, forget about them. Go into the highways and the byways and bring them in. Church, serving God is a privilege. It's a privilege to serve Him. If we lose sight of the privilege of coming together as a priesthood of all believers, of worshiping together, of, of, of seeking God, and going to the nations, I do not want to go to New Zealand next week. I confess it in my own heart. But God's called us. And I don't always listen. Work. Somebody's having an issue. And you're too busy. This happens. Too busy. Church is getting together. Too busy. Too inconvenient. It's summer, God. I tell you, I know when revival will break out is when 
the church is overflowing in summer. Guys, we need to rest. We need to recreate. But God is looking at our hearts. And when He asks us to do something that inconveniences us, we all do the convenience stuff. And I'm speaking to myself. You need to understand that when I am preparing, there's a big finger pointing at me and log sticking out my own eye. I'm not not guilty of this myself. I can clearly see times where God had prompted me like Peter to go and speak to a Cornelius, and I moved on. You see, the other thing, the second thing is, not only was it inconvenience, it was against everything that he had been taught as a Jew. Even though he knew that his reputation as a Jew would be destroyed for entering the home of a Gentile, let alone eating with them, let alone praying with them, let alone eating the food that they would offer him. He still obeyed regardless of the consequence to himself. So God's at work. Cornelius was obedient. He sends the guys there. Peter had to be obedient or Cornelius would not have been saved. So we're seeing a picture of how it works. If Peter had not gone, Cornelius would not have been saved. I'm not saying the church wouldn't have started with somebody else. But Cornelius would have been left out of the mix. And thirdly, and this is what it gets to, he did not preach a come to Jesus and all is well message, a prosperity gospel. Just chillax. Jesus loves you. He's going to give you all of yourself. He's, he's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. He's going to do the How? How does that work when you're going through trials and tribulations? He never said he would bless you through trials and tribulations. He never said you wouldn't go through them. What he said is, I will be with you. I will walk you through them. I will never leave you or forsake you. This week, my wife, we celebrated, my wife has had two liver transplants, both destroyed by, uh, uh, not both, but destroyed by parasites doing mission work in Asia. Two transplants. The first one was this last Wednesday, six years ago. She's six years old, she tells me. It's a whole lot of fun. But in those times, and I'm not trying to bribe myself, when you're going to do God's work in a I love, I tell you, I love the wildest of the, I've been to places that if we got lost, and I love it, so don't feel sorry for me, in Asia, nobody would even know where to start looking for us. No cell phone, no nothing. And we laugh about it. Just loved it. Just being there with God and doing stuff with friends. But when you come back, and your wife through drinking water, uh, picks up a parasite that destroys the liver, you start asking questions. Where was God? Why did he allow this? I tell you what, some of the closest times we were ever with God was when she was at her lowest. When she was at her lowest. Being in that hospital and they, people giving up on her and, and so on, and just the presence of God. I tell you, he never took it away. He supplied and I thank God for that. It's a happy, sad day when you get a transplant. Believe you me, when you think it through, because somebody else had to die for you to live. It's a very emotional thing when this anniversary comes up. We remember that. But God provided, and don't feel sorry for us. We are powering. But in those days, in ICU for at one stage over 40 days, and you sit in there, me, and Deborah's all going through what she's doing, and there are people that don't know God with their families going through the same thing. Then you realize. Then you sidle up to them. 
And you say, can I pray for you? Can I do? Some respond, some don't. But I used to think, God, how would I even go through one day without you in my life? Even today. We have him with us. He never promised to take the trials away. But he promised to lead us through them. And no matter what happens, even with Deborah, we knew that we would win. Because we're eternal beings saved by Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, he preached the truth. He preached Christ. He preached him crucified. He preached him and exalted him. Not about, he didn't preach the church, how to get rich, how to have a happy marriage, all of that. I tell you, if Christ is central, those things started coming to place, even in the hard times. And we have to teach and train our people how to live good lives. He unashamedly exalted Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. He, and this is how he did it, in that same thing. There are a few scriptures there. He first exalts Jesus in Acts 10.36 as the maker of peace between God and man. Because of sin and because of the fall, we have been separated from Christ, from God. And God sent his son to, to pay the price for our sin for one simple reason, so that relationship destroyed by sin could be restored in Jesus Christ. That's why he did it. He wanted a relationship with you, not a casual relationship, not a when I'm in trouble relationship, not that, but a daily relationship with you. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's indifferent, but he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. He also affirms, there's some scripture we won't put up just for, and he also affirms the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is not just gentle, Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. He is the supreme creator of the universe. He holds us together. He holds the universe together. And I want to read this, Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Talking of Jesus. Here's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. This is Jesus Christ. Things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I love that. Even you and I are held together by Jesus Christ. Science is coming to the thing that there must have been a Big Bang sometime. I'll tell you what that Big Bang was. The booming voice of God. The creator of the universe. Genesis 1. And God said, Bam! Yes, there was a Big Bang. The firstborn of all creation, creating. Acts 10.38. He anointed Jesus as a man with the Holy Spirit and with power. And that's important. He didn't have to say the Jesus of Nazareth, but he wanted to focus on the humanity of Jesus because he was trying to tell us that we have that same power that rose Jesus from the dead. We can lay our hands on the sick, Matthew, uh, Mark 16. We can, um, uh, and they will recover. We can drink poison and one hurt us. We can do signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, Jesus said we should do, be doing greater things than him. But we will not do them and cannot if we don't know him and the authority we have in him. You see, Jesus, God incarnate, the transcendent creator of all things, the sovereign sustainer of the universe, 
in obedience to God the Father, came to earth and became the suffering servant of mortal man in order to save sinful man. And that's the story of redemption. It was not convenient for Jesus either. He was creator of the universe, perfect unity in heaven. It was not convenient for him to take a sin of the whole world upon him to die for you and I on a cross. If you've seen the Passion, we focus on the cross and it's terrible. It's terrible. Terrible thing that we ascended did to Jesus. But you know what the most worst thing was for Jesus? Was not that. Was that he took upon the sin of the world. Every single one of them, past, present, and future. And for a moment, his father turned his face from him because he could not look on the sin. And what was his cry? Not God, I'm hurting on a cross. Why have you forsaken me? He took our sin. He set us free. A free gift that is for anyone here today. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm asking you to seek him, to consider him, and even better, to respond to him today. And if you do know him, and we've become myself lukewarm in a sense, where our religious walk is actually more a tradition than a passion. God wants to call us home. He wants to set us free. We think we're happy living a lukewarm life. How many of you are happy like that? More stuff, more of this. If I had this, if I did this, I've been there, got all those t-shirts. It's Christ alone. Christ alone. And Romans tells an amazing story of redemption. I love that book. Apostle Paul, who was murdering Christians, got saved and understood the grace of God. If you think you're bad, how many of you have murdered a Christian? Okay, so you're not as bad as Paul. I'm glad nobody put their hands up. But this is a story of redemption. Paul understood how much God had forgiven him, and so he laid himself life willingly down for God and eventually was beheaded for his faith. But he's talking about Jesus Christ and redemption in Romans 5, verse 6 to 11. Andy, can we have that? You see, just at the right time, there always is just at the right time, and it might be today. God doesn't want lukewarm Christians. It's not only for unsaved. Just at the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Don't ever forget the armed forces that lay down their lives for our freedom. They lay down their lives for the good of this country. But God demonstrates His love, His own love in this, for us in this. Now this is important. His own love, the agape love of God. And listen to this again and look up some of these words if you want to understand this. The agape of God. Google it. It's an amazing love, the love of God. But he demonstrates it in this. So the church has got to a stage where people are say, God loves you, so he will bless you. 
He will give you more stuff. He will do this and all of that. The problem with that, it's a lie. And so when it doesn't happen all the time, people leave the church. Because who wouldn't love to serve a God that's just going to be like Father Christmas? Yeah, I want to name it, claim it, frame it, blessed, prosperous, to be envied. Do you know the only people getting rich in those schemes is the guy that's preaching it. That is not God. That is a lie from the pit of old, and that is deception. Because his love was demonstrated in one thing, in this, in Jesus Christ. He could not give us anything more than his own son. You come to my house with a gun, and I've got my children and my grandchildren there, and they say, give me your house, give me your stuff, give me everything, or I'm going to kill your son. Go for it. I wouldn't think twice. Go for it. I would be happy that he's alive. Even if I lived in a shack. And God said, I'm going to give you my very, very best. My only begotten son that whomsoever believed in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm going to give you my son. I can't imagine. Think about that when you watch the passion if you got the fortitude to do it. It's a, it's a powerful movie. Thanking God in heaven, looking down on his son. And he did it because he knew Jesus had to pay the price for us. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, since we have been, now been justified by faith, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. That's the God we love. God didn't save us because he was short of cash and he wanted us to put money in the offering. God didn't save us so we could sit in a hot building. God saved us for relationship. And because he gave, we can give our finances. Because he gave, we want to come together with his children. It's a relationship. And I'm praying well, this, and this is one of the messages that I've been preparing for New Zealand too and, and um, working on it. Just, but it had to work in me first. And I'm praying that this will work in our lives, that we will understand church. This is God's family. This is not about rules and regulations. This is about relationship. And we're going to have the worship team up, and if you could bow your heads. Remember, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ, but there's conviction. And I'm praying, I'm praying that we as a church will be a people that know Christ that are full and in love with Christ. And we'll simply go and make him known. But as you bow your heads, say, Father God, I thank you for this amazing team, for this amazing church, for your love, your mercy, and your grace. And I pray the seekers after you, Lord God. Those barriers will come down, Lord, and they will begin to trust you the unchanging God. I pray for us that have been in the church where our first love relationships through circumstance, they could be valid, pressure at work, finances, sickness. I pray that we'll open our hands, Lord Jesus.
I pray that we'll open them today and give these things to you. And I pray that we'll stop trying to please you in our own strength because it's impossible. I pray that we'll just re uh, receive a revelation of your love. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come, even as in the book of Acts. I ask you to come and touch hearts today, broken hearts, hearts of stone, where I've been before, Lord. You say you'll remove that and put a heart of flesh. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you begin to rain down, rain down upon us. Wash us clean. Lift our eyes, Lord. Our circumstance may not change, but our perspective can. As we gaze on you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. We want to declare our praises to you, Lord. We want to say your kingdom come in our lives. Your will be done in this place, in this city, in this nation, and the nations of the world. Church, if, you, if we could stand for a moment, if you need to go, God bless you, but I just sense God just wants to touch you. Position yourself to receive. Church, let's go big for God. Let's go big or go home. Let's go big for God. Let's put those things behind us away. Even if we've been hurt before, Lord, you never let us down. And Lord, you say the harvest is plentiful, but laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that we will labor with you and co-labor with you to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done. Break the chains of hurt and unforgiveness. Break the chains of our past, Lord, that are, are like a, a chain around our leg with a ball on it. We're carrying ball and chains. Lord, break those off in Jesus' name. And let us fix our eyes on you for a little moment. Let us sense your presence and your glory and your mercy in our midst today. I pray in Jesus' name.